Ephesians 3.14. This is God's word. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory you may be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to Him be the glory in the church and in Jesus Christ throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Make this our prayer as a church. God, I pray that you would grant us to be strengthened with, with power through your Holy Spirit and that through the Spirit your Son would reside at the very core of, of our being through faith. I pray that we all in this church will be rooted and grounded in love and, and see the beauty of, of your love for us. Please let us know Christ's love for us in a a way that's greater than we've ever experienced before. God, we pray that you would fill us with all your fullness as we're strengthened in your love. And, And Lord, we do ask these things in your name, in the name of your son, knowing that you are really, truly able to do far more than we could ever imagine. We thank you, God, that your Holy Spirit's already at work powerfully in us. We pray these things in your Son's name, that you might be lifted up. Amen. There used to be an old comic strip called Popeye. Anybody familiar with Popeye? Have you ever seen Popeye before? If you're under under 30, you may not know who Popeye is. He was a sailor man. He had a little pipe that went toot toot. I'm not really sure what that was all about. I'm not sure that would go over so well in today's demographic, a sailor guy going, doot, doot, and somehow that's really exciting. But um, in the Popeye comics, he, would, he was weak, he was unable to do things, he was unable to uh, encounter his foes, and he couldn't beat them, he would get beaten up, and he couldn't win his, the love of his life, olive oil. Um, he couldn't fight Bruto unless he consumed spinach. And then when, when he consumed or he ingested spinach, he was kind of, he was strengthened from the inside out and developed a strength that enabled him to carry out whatever his mission was. Apparently worldwide spinach sales doubled when Popeye came on the scene, literally. Um, but there, there was this miraculous food that he ate. This common everyday food is spinach. Now in real life, there's not a miraculous food that we can eat. Um, 
that can make us suddenly have superhuman strength. I really wish there was. I mean, don't you wish that you could eat spinach and it could just make you pop out with muscles all over? Well, maybe the guys, at least, I hope. And, and I won't go there with the ladies at all right now. So, But God doesn't always intend that we're delivered from our troubles or delivered from suffering right away like that. We have this, I think we can identify with Popeye at times because we feel weak. We, we need strength, don't we? We can get weary. We can feel like we don't have the ability to face our foes, to do the things that God's calling us to do, whatever challenges that we have to remain faithful in Christ. And we can just want something. We can want this miracle cure. You ever feel like that? I know I do from time to time. Paul, he, he's writing to the Ephesians and he's, he's aware that they have this need. They have this need to be strengthened. They have a desire to be strengthened, to be able to face the challenges that they have. In the previous chapter, in the end of verse 2, he was encouraging them to not be discouraged because he's in prison. Now, why would they be discouraging? Because if your leader is in prison, you might think, is, does what he believe really have power? Is the God who he's placed his faith in, is he really faithful and able to deliver? And if so, then why is his great apostle to the Gentiles in prison? And so Paul is knowing that they need encouragement. They need to be strengthened in their inner being if they're to remain faithful in Christ. If they're going to confront all the challenges around them. They need strength if they're to keep on loving God. You ever feel that way that, you know, you wake up in the morning, I don't have strength just to love God. I think that's a common temptation that all Christians face and that the Ephesians face. And I, I think it's a common temptation that, that we face as well. And so this word was not just appropriate for the Ephesians in their day. It's appropriate for us today as well. And there's four points that we're going to look at from this passage, four things that we're going to see to understand to be encouraged so that we might be filled with the fullness of God and, and glorify the name of Jesus. And I'll show you those four points. And Point number one is that God has all power. God has all power. Point number two, we need to be strengthened with God's power to know Christ's love. We need to be strengthened with God's power even to know Christ's love. And point number three, we need to know Christ's limitless love to be filled with him. Because it's the desire of all of us, I think, to be filled with him. And we can trust that God can do more than we can imagine. And that really confronts the fact that oftentimes we lack faith in God's ability to be at work in our lives. Well, we're going to see the first point in verses 14 and 16. Look in verse 14 with me, please. It says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father. Paul is aware that God has all power. God has all power. He says, for this reason, he's pointing back to the truths that he, he told us in chapter 2. He's been meditating on sharing with Ephesians. And, and these truths are the fact that Jew and Gentile alike have been brought together into the church. That's a miraculous thing. People who were hating each other and separate from each other for thousands of years. God has brought them together. But not only that, he's brought people together of every tribe and every tongue and every nation, every background. And he's displayed his multifaceted glory, his multifaceted grace by bringing different people together in the church. And so Paul is aware 
of God's greatness and God's power to change our lives, to make dead people alive. But Paul is clearly humbled. It's not very often when you see in the New Testament talking about bowing our knees. It's one of the very few times. And, and Paul here, he's, he's bowing his knees in a sign of, of reverence and awe. And, and why is he doing it? Because he's, he's aware, if you read back through the first two chapters of Ephesians, he's aware that God is the all-wise creator who's making his purposes known throughout all of history. And yet, just a few verses earlier, Paul instructs us that in Christ, he says, we have boldness and access with confidence. And so now, what is he doing? He's demonstrating that boldness and that access that we have. And he bows his knee to the Father. He says, because we have boldness, because we have access, let's, I wanna, we're going to come to the Father. See, God's not just the almighty creator the sovereign ruler of the universe, he's also our father. Where before, if you think about how astounding this is, before no Jew could ever on his own, in his own time, in his own way, could never come before God. No, no, this was God's chosen people. No one in God's chosen people could ever come into God's presence on their own when they felt like it. And now Paul is saying we have access, we have confidence in We can come before him, but not just as God, the sovereign, God, the ruler, God, the creator, but this is God, our father. We can come to God's presence, confident that he loves us as his children. And then in verse 15, if you look in your Bibles, it says, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. What does that mean? What is he talking about every family in heaven and on earth? And then what does he mean when he says they're, they're all named by God? What, is, what does that mean? Well, what he's saying is that God is our father. We're part of his family, his group. But this is talking about something a little different than that. This is talking about different groupings of people, different families of people, no matter what background they come from. And so he's talking about every family in heaven. He's speaking about the principalities and the powers, both good and evil. He's speaking about all the families on the earth, both those who are serving God and not serving God, those who are opposed to the Ephesians and those who are Christians as well. The ancient world, when when somebody named someone else, it, it meant something. It was a sign of authority over the person that was named. That's why, if you remember back in, in Genesis 1, if, you, if you've read the account in Genesis one of the first things that, that God told Adam to do was to be fruitful, to multiply, to fill the earth, to subdue it, to have dominion over every living thing that moves on the earth. And then what's the very first thing that Adam does in response to that command to have dominion, to subdue? He, he names the animals. He names every living thing. And, and what was that saying? It was communicating, this is a sign of dominion. This is a sign of the fact that Adam is subduing and having dominion over all the creatures. And so when Paul is saying, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, it's significant. What he's saying is deliberately, every family, every group that exists in heaven, the angels, the demons... Satan himself, every family on earth, every group that may be arrayed against the Ephesians, God has dominion over every demon, over every angel, and every group on the planet. And he begins his prayer with that Godward focus, the fact that God has dominion over all. 
Every family in heaven and on earth is named by him. Why does he say that? Why does he begin that way? Well, I think it would be really assuring to the Ephesians. You see, they were aware that when they became Christians, life didn't get easier. Maybe when you became a Christian, life didn't get easier. If you truly are following Jesus, I would say that life gets harder at times, not easier in the sense of how much opposition you face. Now, the reality is we're able to endure. We're able to be strong because he gives us faith. He enables us. So in that sense, it gets easier because he strengthens us. But the opposition we face gets more. So the Ephesians experienced that. And what they experienced in their day is as they began to go out into the neighboring communities around them, they began to share about who this Jesus was. Guess what? They encountered spiritual opposition. They encountered demons and weird stuff. And they were aware there was wickedness that was opposing them. And you know what? For, for us, if, if, you, if you're a disciple of Jesus and you begin to share the good news of Jesus, and you begin to actually go out into your community and make disciples like he's called us to do, like the Ephesians were doing, like they were called to do as well. If we begin to do that and go out, you're going to encounter opposition. And so this verse is also reassuring to us. It says, don't sweat it. Every family group in heaven and on earth is named by God. He has dominion over them all. You have, you have nothing to be concerned about here. I think we, today, I think are facing very real spiritual opposition in our church as we're catching hold of what does it look like to live out the vision of making disciples in our community. And I think we're facing spiritual opposition. I do. It's a threatening thing to the demons because when Christians really live out their lives in light of the good news of Jesus Christ, when they really begin to make disciples, it's very real spiritual warfare. It's a very real assault on the gates of hell. That's what we're, we're called as a church, to assault the gates of hell by, by sharing the good news of the gospel, by, by making disciples. That's how we conduct spiritual warfare. But the Ephesians, just like they could be assured that the Almighty God, He's their Father, and He's named everything. We can be assured that God's our Father too, and He's He's named everything. Any opposition we might face, any people groups we might face, anybody who you think, oh my goodness, I need to be fearful of them. No, God's named them all. He's dominion over them all. Whatever occurs, you can trust that God has dominion. Our Father is the Almighty. And then look in verse 16. What is Paul praying? He says, I pray that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power. See, when we're reading our Bibles, let's, let's read each of these individual words as if this is the very first time we've ever read them before, as if we've never read the Bible ever before. Let's see, okay, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened. I need strength. Do you need strength? Pray that God would strengthen us. It says, with what? With power. I need to be strengthened, not with spinach. I need to be strengthened with power, real power. My kids will probably go home and tell me they don't have to eat spinach anymore. But we need to be, we need to be strengthened with power. How? How does it say that? It says through His Spirit. Through His Spirit. And where do we need to be strengthened? We need to be strengthened at the core, the very core of who we are in our inner being. And, and I think each and every one of us knows that we need that. That we need His strength. Paul has already been praying in chapter 1 of 
Ephesians, that they would know the immeasurable greatness of God's power towards us who believe. Do you remember those, that passage earlier? They may, they may know the what? The immeasurable greatness of God's power towards those of us who believe. Now, let me stop for a moment because I, although we've talked about that and I, I think we can so easily fail to believe that that's true. We can have this skepticism in our hearts and say, yeah, I, I know theoretically God has great power, but I don't, but we don't really actually believe that. We don't functionally believe that. We can fail to really see that his power is really available to us who believe. That he, he has immeasurably great power that he, he promises to all those who believe and that he desires to grant us to be strengthened with his power by his spirit in our inner being. And I think we can become so accustomed, so accustomed to God's work to redeem us and to save us and transform us and to sanctify us that we're, we're no longer impressed with his power. And if that's you this morning, if you're a ho-hum, as I'm tempted to be, about God's power, I want you to see that he has immeasurably great power towards those who believe. And then make this prayer, Paul's prayer, your prayer. God, would you grant me to be strengthened with your power. God, help my unbelief. God, forgive me for not believing you, the creator, the almighty, have power to change me. Because, Lord, I know that you changed me. You made me alive. You're sanctifying me, God. And forgive me for my doubt, my unbelief. His power is immeasurably great. And he is the one who does grant power. That's good news. We need power. And the second thing we're seeing from these verses is that we need to be strengthened with God's power. Paul prays that his, his, his readers might have God's power and that God might give it to them. How? Through the Spirit. The same Spirit. Who, what Spirit is this? The same very Spirit that did what? That raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Paul prays that we might experience His Spirit in our inner being. They, they need God's power to not be discouraged. Are you discouraged? Have you been discouraged? You've been facing, battling discouragement. If so, that means you're, you're alive. You're a Christian. So when you face discouragement, when you face opposition, when they face discouragement and opposition, when they saw that Paul was suffering in prison, they needed encouragement because they were probably tempted to think that God locked, lacked the power to deliver Paul from suffering. You know, at times when we view our own situations, our own circumstances, we can think that God lacks the power to deliver us because he doesn't always deliver us from suffering, from challenges. But if you've been following along in Ephesians, you'll know that God works his plans throughout history, even when we can't understand them. And he works these plans in mysterious ways, but he is bringing about his plans in everything. And he's our father. And he loves us. Paul wants them to know that God doesn't lack any power. Paul may be imprisoned, but it's according to God's good working of his plans. Although his plans might not be known as part of God's plans. He's saying nothing's outside of his control. The Ephesians needed to be strengthened through God's spirit in their inner being. That is our desperate need this morning too. We need to be strengthened through God's spirit in our very inner being. We need to be see and know the power of God at the core of who we are. 
And don't we need to remember how great, how mighty God is. That He's over all. And don't we need to cry out to Him for His power through His Spirit, the very core of who we are. We need to remember that God's fully able to supply all of our needs according to what? According to His riches and glory, not according to what we see and what we're aware of. Paul, you see, he, he knows that his readers really need hope. They really need God's power. They, when they face difficulty and discouragement, they don't need a new and better plan. Sometimes we want a new and different plan, a better plan. God, can you give me my plan? They don't need hype. They don't need that, a cheerleader. They don't, they don't need to be wowed in a, because this is a new and better thing. This is the flavor of the month. They need, they need lasting, sustaining power. We need lasting, sustaining power. We face difficulty and discouragement, don't we? You ever face difficulty and discouragement? We need to be strengthened with God's power through His Holy Spirit. I'm, I hope that through these verses it, it gives you a hunger for His power. A hunger for His Spirit. Years ago, the Navy, I guess somewhere in the 60s or so, some of the guys who are ex-Navy might know, they began putting nuclear reactors inside their submarines because they needed an exhaustible power as they were submerged to the depths. It would allow them to go through the depths for long periods of time to, to have the power that they needed to, to be underwater, to not surface, to go through the darkness. And, and God has always placed His Spirit in every believer. And His Spirit is the one from whom we draw our power. And He's given us a Spirit so that we can endure those prolonged at times periods of the depths of darkness and times when we go through those, those struggles with discouragement. What do we need? We need to remember that His power is resident within us and then ask Him to fill us afresh with His Holy Spirit to give us even more of His power to impart His wisdom and revelation so we might know God and be renewed in our inner man. Then look at verse 17, if you will, please. Look in your Bibles. It says, so that Christ may dwell, he's praying, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, wait a minute, aren't they already believers? Listen to what he's praying. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love. And what he's saying is that we need God's power through his spirit. And as this occurs, as God gives us his power, gives us his spirit, we actually have the indwelling of Christ in our hearts, at the core of who we are, through faith. We, we're aware of Christ's indwelling. We're aware of the fact that He is at the very core, the very center of who we are. He dwells in our hearts in that sense. Not that He wasn't already present, but in the sense that we are, we are now aware at the very core of our being that Christ dwells in us through faith. And that's what we need. We need rekindling of this kind of faith. As believers in Jesus Christ, if you've been born again, you have the Spirit, but we need to know the very presence of Jesus in our hearts, at the core of who we are, driving us, motivating us, empowering us. We need a settled assurance and awareness of Christ permanently on the inside of us, in our inner being, in our personality, in our will, our emotions, our thoughts. And how does that come? He tells us through His mighty, empowering Holy Spirit. If we have Jesus Christ... 
inside of our hearts through faith. We can he can dwell as the center of our lives and as we trust in him. Through faith, he makes our hearts his dwelling place. Through our faith, really, we're given over at the very core to Jesus. And look in verse 18, if you will. It says, he prays, he continues to pray. He says, may you have strength to comprehend. Hang on. When I think of strength, I think of strength to do things, don't you? But he's saying strength to comprehend because, because we're feeble, we're weak in our comprehension. And on our own, we can't even comprehend what he's talking about. He says we have strength to comprehend with all the saints. All the saints need the strength to comprehend what is the breadth and length and height and depth. What, he, what he's saying is that you can't know the great dimensions of his love for you unless he strengthens you to be able to understand that. A tree can't know the sunlight in the sky and the depths all around it if it remains a seed. But place that seed in the soil and it's going gonna, it's gonna to grow. It's going to be established and then it's going to know what it is to, to touch the sky and know what it is to, to soak in the sun and dig deep in the earth. And it's going to experience that. In a similar way, the love of Christ is, is the soil He's talking about being rooted and grounded. It's the soil in which we're to be planted and grow so that we might experience them even more. Are you rooted? Are you grounded in love? Are you being rooted and grounded in love? I like the way Peter O'Brien puts it. He says, those who are strengthened by the spirit and in whom Christ dwells will have their lives rooted and grounded in love. If, if you're being strengthened by the Spirit, if, you're, if Christ dwells in you, then we, our lives will be rooted and grounded. Where? Not in ourselves. Not in situation. Not in circumstance. But in His love. Along with all the saints, we need God's empowering Spirit. To have strength to be able to comprehend or grasp what's that height and breadth and depth and length and width of His love. And look in verse 19, it says, And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. We need to know the love of Christ. Do you know the love of Christ this morning? We need to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Why? That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. We, we need to be filled with fullness, but not our own fullness. Some of us are really full in ourselves. We need to be filled with the fullness of God. The third thing we're going to see is really that from these verses, we need to know Christ's limitless love in order to, to be filled with him. We need to know Christ's limitless love to be filled with him. If you're a Christian, you already know the love of Christ and you've, you've already been made alive. And Paul, Paul knows that these readers, they're Christians too. They've been made alive in Christ Jesus. But he's, he's praying that they might know the love of Christ even more. Why is that? Because they don't know the love of Christ enough. You and I, we don't know the love of Christ nearly enough. And the fact that he's praying this way shows us he doesn't think that the readers know Christ's love well enough. And so the question today as we read, as we hear this passage, as we hear these words, um, do, you, do, you adequate, do you think you adequately know God's love for you? Do you, do you functionally act that way? Do you functionally believe that, that we appreciate the love of Jesus enough already and we don't need to hear any more about that? You ever feel that way? 
Do you find yourself thinking, all right, all right, already, I've heard about the gospel, I've heard about the good news, I've heard about God's love, I've heard about Jesus' love for me. I, yeah, whatever. I'm tempted to those kinds of sinful thoughts as well. You tempted to zone out maybe right now, to move on from there, as if you already have enough understanding of his love? Well, before you do that, when you do that, when you will do that, you remind yourself that what you need is not to move on to another topic. When you are weary, when you're wanting, when you're craving the Lord, what do you need? You need His love even more right then. You need His Spirit to dwell inside of you so that you might be rooted and grounded in His love. You need Him to grant you to be strengthened with His power, to be able to understand Jesus' great love, the eternal Creator of all. We need to know His love for us, His boundless, infinite Never-ending love. Why? It's because His love surpasses all knowledge. His love is greater than, goes further than our knowledge. You may be smart. You're not as smart as you think when it comes to knowing God's love. Well, you might have an intellectual knowledge of God's love. And He's, he's not just saying that we, we need intellectual knowing alone. He's saying really at the core of who you are, you need God's strength to understand all the dimensions of his love in your experience, in your daily life, in every interaction you have. You need to see that his power is at work within you. You need to see that his love is great for you. I like the way the D.A. Carson put it. He said that we need, we need to grasp the limitless dimensions of the love of Christ. Do you see that Christ's love for you is limitless in his dimensions? The height, the depth, the breadth, the length of his love is limitless. We can never fully know it. We can never reach the end of knowing God's love for us. There will always be more to know of Christ's love for us. There's, there's always been more to explore. So why does Paul pray that his readers will be strengthened with God's love, with his power, through his spirit and inner being? Why is so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. He prays that we might have strength to comprehend, to know the limitless dimensions of his love personally. You need that. I need that. I need strength to be able to comprehend the limitless dimensions of his love, to not fall into that ho-hum mentality, to not think that Jesus' love is boring. If you are struggling with discouragement or emptiness or lack of passion, what do you need? You need to experience Christ's limitless love for you. You need to be filled with His Spirit. You know, sometimes we can stuff ourselves to the point where we can no longer enjoy food. You ever done that before? When I was a kid, I didn't, I didn't learn quick. I remember going to this place called Anthony's Pizza. They had the best hand-tossed, New York-style, thin crust, full of cheese, greasy pizza. I'm not helping. Now you're distracted by thinking about lunch, but just, okay, take that for a moment. And, and it just kind of would flop, and it would kind of run down your... Oh, it was just wonderful pizza. It was incredible. And I would just gorge myself on it until I got sick, and I regretted it. And then I actually regretted eating it in the first place. And I was like, why did I even touch Anthony's Pizza? And, you know, Thanksgiving came around, though. I hadn't learned my lesson. I still filled my plate up so full that I couldn't enjoy what I really wanted, which was the pecan pie or the pumpkin pie or the chocolate chip cookies. And, you know, I, I filled myself up, and, and good things didn't even appeal to me. 
I got stuffed on potatoes. What's that all about? In our lives, we can, we can fill ourselves up with other things that are not the good things. In our lives, we can gorge ourselves on so many small things. We can fill our plates up with a smorgasbord of things. We can fill our plates up with so much that consumes our time and our energies and our efforts. And we can become stuffed. We can fill our, our, our lives up with playing Candy Crush or uh, Facebook or whatever it is. Just, just all these fine things, but they're not really the good thing that we need. And we fill our lives up and we, we get consumed and we become stuffed. And so we no longer have an appetite for the things of God. We can look for excitement and stimulation. That's, that's one of the downsides of, of always having some device or something or some way to stimulate us constantly. Is we become like addicts to stimulation, addicts to excitement, addicts to something new. I find myself there a lot too. Looking for something to satisfy us. But in the end, it just leaves us feeling empty and sick. And we wonder why. We wonder why we feel empty. We have this vague sense something's wrong, something's unhealthy, we're lacking something, I'm not sure what it is, I can't put my finger on it. Hmm. And Paul here, he's helping us see. I want you to be filled with all what? All the fullness of God. We lack passion because we don't know his love anywhere near where we could. We lack excitement about the things of God. Maybe you're lacking excitement about the things of God, about the church. It's because we don't see the boundless love is waiting to be explored. I love to go out and explore in nature. And there's an excitement that comes of going into a new area or maybe going into a, a cave and exploring things you haven't seen, seeing the wonders of, of God's creation. We're, we're, we're meant to have that wonderful desire to explore the limitless bounds of His love. We don't seem to be able to put our finger on it. What's going on? And so we go searching for new and different things to entertain us and stimulate and fulfill. But we're never going to be rooted and grounded unless we know His love. But we need God's Spirit to give us His power to strengthen us even to do that. We need a supernatural work in our hearts. That's what we need. And I'm praying for that for our church this morning. I'm in faith for that this morning as well, that God will give us His power to strengthen us so that we might know His love, so that we might be filled with fresh excitement and zeal for Him because we see how much He loves us. This past week in our care groups, we had a, in our small groups, we meet in homes throughout the week. We, we had a time of prayer in each group. And why do we do that? Well, it began as we were encouraged to pray by one of our members and we thought about it and then we thought about it more and we got really excited about it. And we thought, you know what? I think we're facing a time of testing as a church. We're... We're facing a time of difficulty like the Ephesians. We're facing a time of spiritual opposition as we begin to grasp what does it really mean to live as disciples and make disciples. And I think for too long we haven't been very good at this. And so we got excited about the idea of praying this past week because you know what? We need, we need God to work powerfully in us. A few years ago, I think we'd stagnated as a church. We, we'd become complacent. We lacked vision. We lacked purpose. We weren't clear in our mission. But a year and a half ago, we rolled out our mission. It begins with who we are. 
we are at our very core disciples of Jesus Christ. And, and, then, and then it's carried out as we seek to grow as disciples in every area of our lives and then actively making disciples. And I think there's been an excitement about our mission and, and you've responded as a church and we had a great time and renew together. But you know what? We so quickly forget what God's done. We quickly lose sight. We quickly lose energy. We quickly lose passion. Just like the Ephesians. This wasn't a unique thing. You think, okay, something's wrong with our church. Something's wrong with me. Oh my goodness, what's going on? Yeah. You need God's love. You need to be strengthened. You need to comprehend that His love is limitless. The Ephesians faced the very same temptations. And guess what? They had a great pastor, Paul. He was probably pretty decent. We're disciples because Jesus has made us alive and given us his great love. His love is limitless. His love is boundless. It knows no end. It's glorious and magnificent. But when you and I, when we forget his love and don't know his love personally, what happens? We get weary. We lose heart. We become dreary. Just like the Ephesians we're tempted to be. They were part of a great mission, the Ephesians were. They had probably the best spiritual leader you could ever want, but they needed to be encouraged. Church, we need encouragement. They need to be strengthened. We need to be strengthened. Why does Paul pray for them? Because they needed it. Why does he pray for the Holy Spirit to fill them? Because they needed the Holy Spirit so that Christ would dwell in the core of who they were and they could know His love. And we need the Holy Spirit to give us His power And we need Christ to dwell, to be at the center of our being, for us to to know His love at the very core of who we are, and for us to be motivated by His love in in our inner being. Church, I believe we need to know His surpassing, compelling love afresh. I think that, that word is for our church. If you're weary, oh, you need to know the limitless love of Jesus Christ. That's why we have a mission in the first place. His love, it, it enables us to grow. His love is what motivates us to, to make disciples. And if you're weary about mission and, and weary about thinking about your part in our shared mission, then I would say you, you probably have lost sight of the magnificent love of Jesus. And I'm praying that God's going to fill us with his Holy Spirit to strengthen us, to give us power to know his love, to be affected by that. We need to be filled with the fullness of God. And here's the cool thing. God God desires to grant us to be strengthened with His power through His Spirit at the core of who we are. He wants to give us the the nuclear power of Christ that we we might know His love and be filled with Him. And maybe at this moment... You're identifying with some of the feelings I've talked about and and maybe you're having a struggle here. You don't really believe anything can or will change for you. Because sometimes we think, okay, I believe in God. I believe He's powerful and He's powerful for everybody else, but for some reason this doesn't work for me. Must have been a good joke back there. (laughs) Maybe you're thinking, sure, He does it for everybody else, but I'll always be this way. I'll always feel empty. I'll always be discouraged. You having those thoughts? You tempted with those thoughts? Well, first, I want to say something directly. Is that 
we have an enemy who roams about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And how does he do that? He does it by by screaming at us that what God says is not true, or at least it's not true for us. And that we can't really believe all this stuff. And that God's not really going to change us because God doesn't really care about us personally. He may care about somebody else, and but he doesn't care about you. So when you have those thoughts, the first thing you need to realize is like, that's, that's a temptation from the devil. That's not true. But that's not all. I think that for those of us who are lacking faith, lacking love for God, we need to cry out to him. We need to repent of being filled with other things. And we need to repent of our attempts at self-sufficiency and to come to him on our own. And we need to come to him in faith instead, asking him to do what he longs to do. In Revelation chapter 2 and 3, Jesus speaks to, to several churches in these chapters. And he has different things to say to different churches. And in and, and the first church that he speaks to, it's the Ephesian church in Revelation. Many years later, John is on the Isle of Patmos, I'm guessing 30 years after this letter or more. John is an old man getting ready to die. And Jesus says in Revelation 2, verse 3, I think we have it on the screen for you, he says, but I know, talking to the Ephesians, I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. So quickly after Paul wrote to them, they're already being tempted to do that. We too are tempted to quickly abandon the love that God has given us in the first. He says, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent. And this is a continual need, by the way, for us. Continual need. If, if the Ephesians needed Paul to remind them, and then a few years later they needed John, Jesus, through John, to remind them, to say, you, you've, you've forgotten the first love that you had. He says, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from his place unless you repent. And then later on, he says to the church in Smyrna in Revelation 2.8, he says, the words of the first and last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you in prison that you may be tested. And for 10 days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death. And I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. And to the church in Sardis, he says in Revelation 3, 2, he says, wake up. Wake up. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. And then the church in Philadelphia, he says in Revelation 3, 8 and then 11, he says, I know that you have but little power. And yet you have kept my word and not denied my name. And then in verse 11, he says, I am coming soon. Hold fast to what you have. So that no one may seize your crown. And then lastly, in Revelation 3.15, he says to the church in Laodicea, I know your works. You are neither hot nor cold. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you're lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I'm rich, I prospered, I need nothing, not realizing you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, 
so that you may be rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you might see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. No matter where you find yourself, no matter where you are right now, as you sit here in this church, God's speaking to you. And no matter where your passion level lies, we need more of Jesus. We can't have enough of Jesus. We can't have enough of His love. We need to buy from Jesus gold refined by fire so we might be rich and white garments we might clothe ourselves. The shame of our wickedness might, might be nakedness not might be seen and salve to anoint our eyes that we might see. We need to come to Jesus longing for Him. He wants us to be white hot in our passion for Him. And He stands at the door and knocks. And I believe He's standing and knocking at the door of our hearts this morning. We need to hear His voice speaking to us. Open the door to Him and He'll come into us and eat with us and we with Him. We can experience sweet fellowship with Jesus. And he'll fill us with all the fullness of God. And Paul, he's confident in praying in these ways for his church, for that church. And because he knows God's able to answer our prayers. And so how does he end? He ends in verse 20. If you look in verse 20, please. It says, to him who is able... Not you who are able, Ephesians, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. What are you thinking? What are your limitations on what God can do? He can do far more abundantly than all you ask and all you think. You have feeble prayers, he can do more than you ask. You, you think feebly, he can do more than you think. He can do more than you ask or imagine or think. According to the power, here's the crazy thing. At work within us, according to His Holy Spirit, who's at work within us, He will do more than we ask or imagine. So the very last point, we can trust God. We can trust that God can do more than we can imagine. You can't trust your own evaluation. You can't trust even your own asking. You can't trust what you think. But you can trust that God can do more than we ask or think. Far more abundantly. According to the Holy Spirit's power that works within us, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. The Holy Spirit's the one who makes dry bones alive, and we have this Holy Spirit, the almighty power of God, will work within us. As we know His love, as we comprehend His love, as we understand His love, He empowers us. You may not ask for much, but God is able to do so much more than you ask. Could have the band come forward. For a moment, please stand if you will. You may not think that God can do much, but He can do abundantly more than we ever ask or imagine. And so, what's the, if you're going to summarize the main idea of all these verses, what's the main idea? It's just simply this we need God's power to enable us to know the love of Jesus and be filled with Him. What do we need as a church to reinvigorate us on our mission together? 
We need God's power to enable us to know the love of Jesus and be filled with him. Why? It says in verse 21, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray and then we'll worship.